0: This morning we're going to uh, wrap up a series that we've been in that we've called The In-Between. And, and the reason that we've called The In-Between is because we've been looking at this letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to a group of Jesus followers who have been exiled and they've been ostracized because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, the community that they li- The communities that they live in their friends and their family members, because of of what Jesus is doing in their lives, they are living differently and they're being ostracized and they're suffering because of their faith and belief. And they find themselves in this place in between. and, And Peter is writing to them to strengthen and to encourage them and to remind them of what God has called them to be and to do while they are in this time in between and this in between is this in between of what Jesus has done for us and what is yet to come and we find ourselves in the exact same place that this group of Jesus followers in you see there's this thing that God has done for us in the person of Jesus this thing we that we call the gospel or the good news that God came to us in flesh in the person of Jesus he lived a perfect sinless life and then he willingly went to the cross to die for us to pay the debt of our sin and he and, and he offers this uh, this this forgiveness for sin and this reconciliation to the Father to us for free and this is what he has already done for us and then he went, and ascended into heaven, but he promised that he would return, and that is the yet-to-come piece of this, that Jesus will return. It's described like this in the last book of the New Testament, like what this is going to be like. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, it says this, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them They will be his people and God himself will be with them and and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Those who have made that decision to follow Jesus will have eternity in this incredible and in a beautiful place with him forever. That's the yet to come. But until that time, we live in the in-between. But God doesn't leave us alone in this in-between. God in the person of the Holy Spirit, for those who who have, who have uh, agreed to follow Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, have his presence with them, and he continues to point us to Jesus and remind us and transform us to be more like him. And Peter reminds them and us this morning that God is continuing to work and move. When we decide to follow Jesus, we don't just sit around, we don't just gather once a week. We, and wait for his return, God has a plan for us, and God's kingdom is both present and future. That this abundant life that he promises us is this freedom that we can experience both now and forever. There is a calling and purpose for each and every person who follows Jesus now. We are called to be an active part of God's kingdom, sharing all he has done for us with as many people as we can and participating in what God is doing to bring about the peace and love and joy that we can experience now. And Peter closes this letter by focusing on how we are to live in relationship with one another and also how we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning as we wrap up this series. five, And we're going to look at the first five verses to start with. Words will be on the screen. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow, fellow elder and, as, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So first, Peter addresses this group called the elders. Now, this isn't talking about elderly people. This is referring to people who are spiritually mature. They've been following Jesus consistently for a while, a period of time, and they are not perfect, but they are living a life that's in submission to God, being transformed by him, and living according to his will, and they've been chosen and set apart to lead the local church, and God's plan and design for his church is to be led by this group of shepherds or elders as God leads them. And there's a lot of time I could spend this morning kind of unpacking this, but I'm just going to highlight a few things that, that Peter specifically mentions in this. like, what are these shepherds or elders called to do? They're called to shepherd the flock. This basically means, since we probably don't have any shepherds in our midst, this basically means to care for people. They're supposed to care for people. They're supposed to protect them against the attacks of the enemy from from straying away from the truth and from falling into different traps and deceptions. They're supposed to feed them to make sure that they are continuing in the word of God and to be strengthened and encouraged and reminded of what Jesus has done for them to continually focus on this good news, this message of the gospel and to guide them to make sure that they focus on and they're following Jesus and to know them and to love them. And this is A reminder that this is not their flock. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. It's it's his. God entrusts his people to them. These are God's people. We are God's people. God has entrusted what is precious to him, to this group, to care for. So my question is, what is your most prized possession? I mean, just think of what that would be. Maybe it's your car or maybe it's some kind of collection that you have, or maybe it's your home, or maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's something that somebody has left you or somebody has given to you. And imagine giving that to someone to take care of. How would you expect them to care for it? Probably a lot like you care for it, right? And this is the same thing that God has done with shepherds and his church it's god's and he expects them to care for it as he would care for they're also called to exercise oversight and peter identifies five specifics on how they're to do this first of all he says it's not out of compulsion it's not because they have to it's not like hey you There's nobody else really that's willing to do this, so would you be willing to kind of like step in and lead? It's not out of that, it's not because they have to, but it's because they get to. It's it's a willingness to be able to serve in this way, and this oversight is to be exercised as God would have them do it, as God would have you, not by their own agenda, but by God's agenda. This is not their kingdom. It's God who leads. They continually seek God's will as they are leading. He says it's not for shameful, shameful gain. It's not so they can get rich. It's not so they can be famous or even so that their preferences can be met. There's some who seek out positions of leadership in the church so they can get things their way, they can influence things. And God says that's not what this shepherding, this eldering, this what this is all about. This is God's flock. It's not domineering, which basically means kind of bullying people to get their way, manipulating or forcing people to do what they want to be done. And and finally he says this oversight is exercised not by the words they speak, but by the way that they live, by their example of how they live in order that they're showing how to follow Jesus by the way they live their lives, the lives of sacrifice and submission to him. And then he turns and addresses those who are being led by this group of elders or shepherds, and he uses this word that we've heard before in this letter, and it's one of our favorite words, right? He says the word, he said, the phrase here is to be subject to, but really it's this idea of submitting. We all love submission, right? The way God has designed his church is to function is those who lead care for God's people under God's direction and according to God's agenda, and they do this selflessly, not thinking about themselves, but always for the good of those they lead and always according to the will of God. And this is the kind of leadership that the church desperately needs. This is the kind of leadership where submission, this idea of submission or being subject to is easier to do. I'm really grateful for the shepherds that God has put in place at South Point who strive to lead this way and are continuing to be shaped by the Holy Spirit each and every day. And the next, Peter addresses how we are to supposed to relate to each other. Verse five. This is the verse that Pedro read to launch us today. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All of us, every one of us, are to clothe ourselves with. Humility towards each other. This basically is the idea of wrapping humility around ourselves. This is so counter to what we hear in culture today. The phrases that we hear over and over like, you deserve better. Get yours. No one loves you like you. Look out for number one. So what does this mean to have humility toward one another? What does this look like? Our staff team just finished reading this book together called Unoffendable by a man by the name of Brant Hansen, And in this book, Brant talks about what humility is. He says this, real humility isn't about putting yourself down or pretending your, your performance is substandard. At everything you try, real humility lies in self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. Jesus describes what this self-forgetfulness forgetfulness looks like in Luke chapter nine, verse twenty-three. He says, "This if anyone would come after me, and if, in other words, if anybody would follow me, this is what it means to let him deny himself, to take up his cross daily, and follow me." And then he expands on this in Matthew, chapter, uh, Matthew uh, 16, sixteen twenty five. He says this, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to control your life, if you try to be in charge of your life, if you try to make it all about you, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Humility is denying ourselves, letting go of all we try to hang on to and trusting Jesus, following him, in all of his ways. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. When we all do this together towards one another, something amazing and beautiful happens, not just in the community, this church community itself, but more importantly, to a world that is watching us. Let me, let me point out one example of this that you see in Scripture of how this is lived out. And this is found in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 and 34. It describes what this new community, this church that had just started, began to do. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were unified. And no one said that any of the things they, that belonged to them were, were his own, was his own but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. Can you imagine that? There's a community of probably 10,000 plus people, and there wasn't a need among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds, what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had need. They set aside... What was good for themselves, including their own homes, so that nobody would have need. How radical is this? What, what would happen if we lived this out? Rather than thinking about what we can get that's the newest and the best, we looked around at what we had and decided that we had Enough. Or or maybe it's not that we have enough, but we have more than enough. What would happen if we looked around and we decided, you know what, we don't need all of this stuff. And we started to sell that stuff off and then we were able to give that to other people who had need. What if we adopted a lifestyle of enough? What would a community of people who live this way say to those who don't know, yet know Jesus. Like, how would that reflect? Like, wouldn't that be evidence of the work of God in our lives? Living, the, living this kind of humility-forward lifestyle, others' first way of living, is what drew so many people to follow Jesus in the early church and transformed entire communities and ultimately spread throughout most of the known world the way This early church lived in this humility towards one another of just giving up the stuff that they no longer considered to be their own and selflessly gave. So how is this possible? Like how is even getting to this place possible? Well, Peter goes on in verses 6 and 7. He says this. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. All of this starts, like this humility process begins, by placing ourselves under God's authority. Submitting ourselves to him first and foremost continually. Recognizing that he's God and we aren't. Living humbly under God allows us to experience God's grace It starts with recognizing our own brokenness and knowing that God has forgiven us. Unless we acknowledge that we have sinned, we cannot save, and that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot experience God's grace. If we think we are basically a good person, we cannot experience the grace of God. He goes on to say that, when we submit ourselves, when we put ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he is the one who exalts us. This this idea of God is the one who then lifts us up. We don't have to lift ourselves up. God is the one who does that. And he does it in the proper time. Like, it's his timing that this happens. There, There is something in us that longs to be noticed, to be recognized, to be seen. And I think that's one of the reasons that we see social media become so popular it feeds that need that we have to be recognized and seen it taps into this idea of self promotion you know this idea of becoming tiktok famous and sometimes it influences our lifestyles in the clothes that we choose to wear and the purchases that we make and the cars that we drive like it influences because we want to be seen for something we want to project something an image and Peter says there's only one whose attention matters, it's God. And knowing how much he loves us is enough. He, he is the one who will in his perfect time lift us up. It's not for our own self-promotion, but it's for his glory because the reason he lifts us up is so that we can reflect him to others. And then he says that we're supposed to cast our anxieties on him. Like this idea of anxiety is really more describing what our cares and our worries are. And humility allows us to admit that we need him. There's this prayer exercise that, that we have done sometimes when we do these different prayer experiences. And, and the exercise is simply this, that you put your palms up when you're sharing what your cares and your worries are. To God and then as you're releasing them you turn your hands down it's just a symbol of the fact that you're letting those go at the feet of God that we can trust him that he is the one who's in control Matthew 6 31 through 33 Jesus is saying speaking he says so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans and the people that don't know God run after All these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Why are we able to do this? Because he cares for us. That's what Peter goes on to say. In the Greek, this actually is worded this way. To him, it matters about you. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe, you matter to him. He cares for you. He isn't some cold and distant deity, but he's intimately connected to us and is always with us. God knows us, and he loves us, and he cares for us. We don't really need anything more. We can trust him. There's another way we can choose to live. We can choose to live for ourselves. To look out for number one. And and if we choose pride or ego where we are relying on ourselves and we're trying to do it on our own, under our own strength and under our own power and for our own purpose. What we read earlier, it says that God opposes us. I don't know about you, but that's not really a place I want to live my life where God is opposing us. And, and God isn't opposing us because he's like vengeful or mean or because we've hurt his feelings. It's because he's God. He, he's the only one who's good for us. He, he is the only one who we need and he will do this lovingly in order for us to come back to him to where we need to be even if it means opposing us peter then warns against what can happen if we choose to do our own thing verses 8 and 9 he says this he says be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is an enemy who is seeking to destroy you. Sober-minded means be alert and be aware. It's this idea of know that he is out there. In the movie, The Usual Suspects, one of the characters says this. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. He, he doesn't come to us as like this scary person like you see in a lot of the movies. Like that's not how he comes. He comes subtly. He comes deceitfully. But he comes just as deadly There's an enemy who's been defeated. He is a defeated enemy who is trying to destroy in his last efforts as much of what God has designed to to be as he possibly can, and that includes you. He lies. Like, that's the language that he speaks. He lies and he deceives us. He will say things like, these things won't hurt you. God just wants to rob you of fun, or God is trying to restrict you. And then when we listen and give in, he accuses us. Like, see, told you, you were like that. And and he fills us with guilt and shame, and that causes us to try to hide from God and others so he can keep us from the freedom that God really wants us to experience in him. And, and, And Peter makes it super clear of how we resist the enemy. We resist Him by standing firm in our faith and our belief of who God is and what He has done for us, trusting Him with our lives, daily being reminded of this message of the Gospel, and knowing the fact that we aren't alone. Like, you're not alone in the suffering. Like, you're not by yourself. There's others who are also suffering. Others in this room. Others across this world. And Jesus is with them and we need one another Peter reminds us that we aren't as autonomous as we think we are we love the idea of independence of being our own person and Peter basically says that's not the way it is there's two choices that you are either following God that you are under his mighty hand or you're being devoured by the enemy one bite at a time And then Peter wraps up this letter by encouraging us to look forward to what God is going to do. Verses 10 and 11, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, get that notion of a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion. The dominion is the idea of power. To him be the power forever and for, <clears throat> forever and ever. Amen. If there was like a thesis statement for 1 Peter, like this letter, this would be it. This summarizes what Peter is trying to share with this group of Christians and, and to us today. All, all of us, all of us experience suffering. Suffering is just a part of life. It's a consequence of a broken and sinful world. All of us experience sickness and loss and pain and broken relationships and death and struggle and poverty. It's part of this world. For those who have chosen to follow Jesus, the suffering is just temporary. In in the grand scheme of eternity, it's just a blip. It's a mist. Our time of suffering is short. And because of the grace of God, there is an end for us to keep in mind. And and where suffering ends, something beyond our wildest imagination awaits. God himself will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish us. What this means is God is going to make everything perfect again. When Jesus comes again, and in this and this in between time is over, God will make all things new. He will bring everything back to the way He had originally created and designed it to be. Us in perfect relationship with Him, us in perfect relationship with others, sin and death completely out of the picture. As Paul describes in the book of Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13, he says, while now we see and experience God only a part, he describes it as seeing in a mirror dimly, we will see him face to face, forever in God's presence. That's incredible. This is the hope that we have and the hope we carry. It's why we don't fear death. It's why when we lose someone who loves Jesus, who has followed Jesus Yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. This is why we can face the suffering and challenges of this life, knowing these are brief and there is an eternity awaiting that is going to be far more than we could ever imagine. This is the hope that is available to everyone. If you're following Jesus, know that this is your hope future live this hope don't get caught up in the temporary whether it's the circumstances in your life or the stuff that you own we have an amazing hope that we can and that we should live if you're not yet made that decision to follow jesus my continual prayer for you is that you will It doesn't matter what you've done or how you've lived your life up to this point. You don't have to be good enough because Jesus is good enough. You don't have to earn this. God freely offers this amazing grace to you to be forgiven of all your sin. Those that you've done and those that you will continue to do and to be reconciled back into a relationship with him now to experience true freedom and peace and joy, to be able to live an abundant life now and the hope of a perfect life in eternity, to be able to join in and be a part of his kingdom and all that he is doing right now. This doesn't mean that everything you struggle with will go away or that all will be rainbows and puppies. That's not what he promises. What he does promise is his presence with us in the midst of, of our pain and our struggle, his comfort, his peace that passes anything that we can understand or comprehend, his joy that fills us daily as we lean on him and reflect on all he has done for us and the hope of the future that we have with him. That is what I want for everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the life that you have given us now and the reconciliation that you have brought to us through the death and the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you for the fact that, Father, you continue to transform us, to make us more like you. And, Father, I pray that you would work and move as only you can through your Spirit to continue to draw people to yourself. Father, I just... Pray that this week that we would take those next steps To just continue to lean on you, to continue to trust you. The Father, that we would cast our cares and our worries upon you. Father, that we would live this hope out. That as Dustin talked about last week, that we would be be ready to give an answer for this hope that we have to anybody that asks. That we would live in such a way that people would recognize there's something different and the way that we live, the way that we approach life. And Father, that you would use us somehow to continue to spread your kingdom to everyone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.